So here we are, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and the title is Praying, or excuse me, Pray Knowing Your God. Pray Knowing Your God. So we'll go ahead and read those four verses, and then we'll come back and, and spend some time thinking about these. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So the first point I want us to consider is that we should have a desire to know how to pray. Jesus' prayer life was distinctly different than anything they had ever seen before, leading them to ask the question, teach us how to pray. Uh, The prayer that they had seen was prayer that was full of pomp and ceremony among the religious leaders. The prayer that they had seen was was distasteful, it was was hypocritical. It was full of pride, and worst of all, it didn't accomplish anything, it was powerless. Their prayers were not being heard, but when Jesus prayed, heaven moved. When he prayed for the blind person, when he prayed for the, the, the lame, when he spoke to the blind, Things happen when he gave thanks for a handful of you know, bread and fish, it fed 5,000. Stuff happened when Jesus prayed. And so they were wanting to see this. They said, actually, aren't you gonna teach us to pray like John did? Now, it's interesting, no commentary, but to me, it just seems slightly manipulative to me. And, and, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. I think there was a sincere desire to pray. It says, Lord, teach us to pray. John's disciples know how to pray their prayer. Why, why haven't you taught us the prayer? Why haven't you brought us into that prayer as your disciples? Rabbi Jesus teaches to pray. Every rabbi would teach his disciples to pray in a certain manner. Jesus hadn't done that. John had done that. I'm not saying it was wrong. I don't think we should read into anything wrong about this. But there was just, you could almost identify who the disciples, uh, rabbi was by their prayer. So it's like, you know, when when are we going to get our own prayer? We we need our prayers. Team Jesus prayer. When are we going to get this? Um, So this is what they're thinking about. So not only is, I, I would say, a desire a legitimate desire to, to pray as he prayed. He had been praying, and they clearly were moved by it, but it also seems like there was like, hey, you know, every rabbi's team has their own kind of like prayer. Do we get one? John did. Um, so I don't know. I think there might be a little bit of manipulation going on here. Don't fall down on the job, Jesus. And so Jesus says, all right, you know, I'll do that. They had seen him pray all night long. They had seen him rise early before the sun had come up to pray. He prayed all night before choosing the disciples. Still chose Judas. Interesting. I don't know what you do with that. Just think about it. But he chose the disciples after prayer. And and he was one that Isaiah says of the Lord is that 
He says, you awaken me morning by morning to give me the tongue of the learned that I, know, that I might know how to speak in the season. So he sought the face of the Lord. He had conflict that was going on and he would pray and the Lord would speak to him and prepare him for the day. Prayer is not just asking the Lord, prayer is hearing from the Lord. And that's when prayer gets the most exciting, by the way, is that like Acts 13, when you gather for prayer and the Lord says, separate unto me Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas, for the work to thy have called them, and they begin the missionary journey. So when we pray and we're talking to the Lord, we need to see our great need for prayer. Do you see the desperate need in your life to communicate with God, to hear from him, to be instructed by him? You know, it doesn't happen all the time, so I certainly don't want to give that impression, but it happens significantly enough in my life that while I'm just praying, kind of minding my own business in my own prayer lane, not thinking about these things over here, that the Lord just kind of comes in and he drops what would appear to be a random thought in my mind. And so often, those random thoughts that seem to have come out of nowhere are actually the Lord teaching me to know what to say when something comes up. Have you, I don't know if you, I'm not gonna ask for hands, but I, I hope that's happened to you. If not, ask the Lord to do it. I can, there's, there's a handful of times where it's been so clear. One day, on staff at Calvary Chapel Vista, and I was sitting in my office and kind of just praying and thinking about the day, and uh, the Lord said, uh, Brian Broderson is the pastor, and um, I was on staff there with him, and uh, the Lord said, Brian's gonna come in, and he's going to ask you whether you need to be on staff or not. Well, I got kind of offended that he would even think about that in this hypothetical situation that was only gonna be hypothetical for about 60 minutes. But have you ever had thought processes like that? They said, then I said, and I did this, and, you know, and you're, you're playing this scenario out. So I'm like, well, why in the world would he ask me? I'm doing a good job. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm teaching this many times a week. We've got these mission trips. We have all this going on. And I'm, I'm like, you know, in this conversation with Brian that he's not even a part of. And I'm like, what am I doing? This is weird, you know? And so I stopped and then Brian opened the door and I was like, <gasps> and he said, hey, got a question for you. Do you need to be on staff full time? I'm like, I can't believe you're asking me that. He goes, no, 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 it's not that. I think you're doing a good job. And I said, no, that's not. I just had that thought. I just had the thought that in the Lord, now I know told me that you were gonna ask me that question. And I spent you know, like 15 minutes giving a defense of why I ought to be on staff. He goes, well, give it to me. Why should you be on staff full time? And I told him, he's like, sounds good to me. Don't worry about it. It was such a strange experience. But you know, it's in moments of prayer that the Lord can speak to you. And so many times the Lord has done that. It's not every month or even every three months, I'll say. But there are times where the Lord's like, this, you need to know this. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time. Actually, you can read in Amos and how... The Lord says he does that with his servants, the prophets, that he tells them ahead of time what's gonna happen. So we need prayer. We need to have this communication. We need to be awakened morning by morning and spending time with the Lord that we might know how to respond to certain situations. Well, the Lord responds. He says, okay, you guys want a prayer? Let me give you a prayer. And if you read in Matthew, he tells them, first of all, how not to pray. You might want to read on your own there in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. It's a longer version of this prayer. 
But he, first of all, begins with, well, don't pray like this. So you want a prayer? Everybody's got their own prayer. Every rabbi's got their own prayer. Well, don't pray like those guys. And so he does that. But he says, okay, you want to do that? All right, how about this? When you pray, say, our Father in heaven. We hear that, and we don't think anything about that being a part of this prayer. Because that's all we've ever heard. The, the, the model prayer for how we are to address the Lord, this, we've heard this for our entire Christian life. It surprises none of us that we should call out to God in prayer as our Father. But realize this, that only 15 times in the Old Testament is God referred to by the title of Father, and it's never in prayer. Never in prayer is God addressed as Father. So this is an interesting thing for us to consider. But when you get into the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 165 times. That's, that's by contrast, we're trying to learn something here. And let me just read to you this quote from James Edwards. Jesus' use of Abba, or Father, was unique among Jewish rabbis. For no evidence has yet been found in literature of Palestine of my father being used by individuals to address God. Jesus, however, not only addressed God confidently and securely as Abba, but he taught his disciples to do the same. I think this is pretty fun. They're like, hey, everybody's got, every rabbi gives a prayer. Why don't you give us a prayer? All right, I'll give you a prayer and blows their mind with the first line of it. Our Father in heaven. Are we allowed to do that? You are now. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to call upon him. This was so profound that Paul picked this up in two of his other letters. Romans chapter eight, verses 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So there's that relationship. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, follow this, and if children, then heirs. What kind of heirs? Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we also might be glorified together. Very similar Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption, the, the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, follow the logic, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son than an heir of God through Christ. So, I mean, when you begin to read this and you, you've, you see how unique it was for Jesus to use this uh, address and then how Paul picks this up, you begin to see the significance. I have heard, and I want to correct it in case you are one that has had this thought, well, you know what? I would love to address God as my father, but I have a terrible father figure. I don't know my father, so therefore I can't pray uh, to God as my father because I, no, I have no connection with that. That may be true on the earthly level, but I want you to know what you just said is not biblically true. 
because you have been, what, what did we read in both of these verses? What has happened to us? We've become what? Adopted. So you are in a family and your heavenly father has chosen you. I didn't get to choose my kids. Whatever came, came. I couldn't say, man, I don't know about that one. Do we have another option? But your heavenly father chose you. There was a will involved. Not with have it, just having a child, but that you would be his daughter and that you would be his son. Adoption is something special. And we've been adopted by the father. And so this is something that God has done. You're like, yeah, but my experience with my earthly father, I have none or it was a bad one. I just can't relate to God as my father. Don't say that because how do we cry out, Abba, Father? In both of those passages, who is the one that helps us to cry out, Abba, Father? It's the Holy Spirit. You can go back and study them again. It's the Spirit that works in our heart to cry out, Abba, Father. So you don't have to be dependent upon a great experience with your Father to be able to cry out, Abba, Father, because the second person of the Godhead pours himself out upon you that you might through Christ, call out to the Father and call him Abba, Father. What is in this Abba? Abba is Aramaic. And it, sometimes we hear this, that Abba is daddy. And it's true, it is daddy, but that is not the fullness of that. Because little kids would use, I, I still call uh, refer to you know my father as I call him, hey dad. I mean it's dad. That's, that's why I don't call him daddy. Some of you may do that. For me that would feel a little odd as a grown man calling him daddy. But some of you do that. I'm not saying stop. Please keep calling him daddy. I don't want to have a meeting with him. You keep doing that, okay? <laughs> but I call my dad dad. But I used to call him daddy. And the Aramaic Abba is it's either one of those. If you're a kid you would say daddy. If you're a grown adult, it may transfer into dad. It's still a term of endearment. And so this is it. So say, hey, John's disciples, they've got a prayer. Do you got anything for us? Here's one. Our Father in heaven. That's how you start it. You, can, can you just kind of feel how their minds would be like, ah, really? And Jesus is like, you want your own distinct prayer? Here you go, this is how my people are gonna pray. They're gonna pray, my father. It speaks of relationship, it speaks of access, it speaks of care and tenderness that you have. You're not praying to some omnipotent out there who doesn't know you and doesn't care about you. You're praying to your heavenly father. Second thing we see is location. Location, 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 that's what you hear. It's like in real estate, it's all about location, location, location. Well, let me say to you that in prayer, it's all about location, location, location. Maybe even more so than real estate. Because I, as a father who loved my kids and would do anything that is needed or reasonable for them, have limitations. My location is Lynchburg. That's not impressive. That's not impressive like heaven. You know, and so when we pray, we're not only praying to our Father, we're praying to somebody who's located in the place that has access to all the resources of heaven. 
to do those things that he wants to do. You as a mom or dad maybe have had your, your kids ask you for something like, I can't help you, I'd love to help you, I can't do it, because you're limited. But God is not limited. When God spoke to Abraham, he says, nothing is too hard for me. There's nothing too hard, and when we pray, do we have to pray louder and more passionately the more difficult a task is? We don't. We do it, but we don't. You know, Lord, help me find my keys. I don't really want to get there anyway, so Lord, help me. If it's your will, Lord, help me find my keys. You know, oh, well, guess it's a sick day today. Okay, back to bed. You know, your prayers, yeah, you know, Lord, if you want me to have it, you know, your will be done. You know, can't find them. Okay, I'm going to bed. But then it's like, it, it's keys, and your wife is at the hospital ready to have your first baby. Your prayer is going to sound a little bit desperate, right? Oh, Lord, God of heaven and earth, please. You know, I can't, if I'm not there, she's going to kill me, Lord. You know? <laughs> and, and so you, your prayer is different, and now there's all kinds of passion. And, but, you know, the Lord, that's us. That's not for him. He doesn't need that because he has all the resources of heaven and it is no more difficult to give you a nickel than it is to give you $5,000. The Lord has, it's not, it's not hard for him. Nothing tests one who is omnipotent, who is infinitely omnipotent. So when you pray, you're praying to one who is in heaven. He loves you and he has given you access using his name and he has no limitations. And then he says, hallowed be your name. You know, revered, awesome is your name. There's worship that is going on here. So even though we can address God as our father, we still are called to recognize his majesty and his awesomeness. We don't become flippant with the Lord. We still remain reverent, but we also have this this enduring relationship. And if you have a good relationship with your dad, you can understand both of these elements. You love him, he's your dad, but he's also your father. And so you're going to be careful um, in how you speak to him. And we are told uh, that the name of God is to be revered. revered. Hallowed be your name. Now, when we use name, when we give names, you know, um, the process usually goes something like this. Is there any family names we have to use? And then we think about that. Um, and maybe you look up in a baby book what a name means, and you want to give uh, that child the name according to meaning. But that's not a, like a big deal. I mean, it has an element on it. But here's one of the things that drives a lot of our naming. Of all the people we don't like, it's like, do you know what I'm talking about? So you start to say, hey, can we name, uh, you know, our, I'm not going to use any name because somebody in here has that name. So, you know, can we name our child Troy? No, we, I, uh, not Troy. No, 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 not Troy. I knew a Troy once. I didn't like him. Um, he was the most annoying guy I ever met. I, there, if I said, if we called our son Troy, every time I said that, I'd think about that annoying guy. I don't ever want to think about him again. Okay, all right. You know, well, you know, can, can we name him? You know, her, Rebecca, mm, I knew her Rebecca once, didn't like her either. You know, and so that's my wife's name. We're using our names. And we get a long list of names of people we don't like 
in trying to figure out what we're gonna name our child. So now we have this long list of names and we come down to just these few that may be related to family and people that we have not had some bad experience with and then it's one of those names that we name our children with. That's not the way it worked back then. The name was associated with a meaning and the meaning became part of the, who that character and the nature of the person. It's also was sometimes like a prophetic name that you know, they were given. And so when we say, hallowed be your name, we don't just mean you know, a simple title or a way to identify. We're talking about somebody's character. We're talking about somebody's nature. So Jewish usage of a person's name was associated who they were. It revealed who they were. Jesus told us to ask for anything of the Father in his what? In his name. We are to hallow the name of the Lord. And so when you do that, you're praying according to the character, the nature, the revealed will of that person. That removes those self-indulgent fleshly prayer requests. Because I'm not, I'm gonna pray for something and then I'm gonna say, and oh, by the way, this is the very kind of thing that God is for too. Hey, Father, I'd like for you to do this because your son really likes these things. Because I'm, now I'm praying in the name. You know, we have some scammers that regularly email the church staff. I hope it's not you. If it is you, stop. Well, we, not, we know now that it's you and we don't, do, we don't respond. But, you know, every month or so, some uh, email will go out to the entire staff and it'll start asking for gift cards. By the way, don't ever give somebody a gift card if they ask for it, okay? That's a scam. So, unless it's me, then it's different. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, you know, so don't ever, don't ever do that. So the email will go out and say, I'm in my prayers right now, and could you get some gift cards? Please keep this a secret, don't tell anybody. When you get them, email me and let me know. And nobody's ever done that, although one individual almost did it, and I'm not gonna say his name because that wouldn't be very nice. His initials are JR though. So anyway, <laughs> he, you know, he started interacting. He's like, wait a minute, this isn't Troy. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't ask me to do that. Ah, because he knows who I am. He knows my character. He knows that I'm not gonna spend money foolishly that we're wise stewards with the, with, the, with the resources of God, and so he didn't go buy these gift cards, although he was thinking about it. But now it's just a big joke on staff. Anybody comes on staff, we're like, don't ever get gift cards unless you're directly asked to for to help out with benevolence and stuff like that. So that's how it works. When we pray, we're praying in the name. Do, what I'm asking for, does it line up with the name of the Lord? I want to ponder this point just a little bit longer. Turn with me over to the Old Testament into Exodus. I'm going to have the verses up there too, but you might want to know where it is. You might want to be able to underline it, highlight it, do something like that so you can find it again. What is the name of our God? Pray in my name. What is his character? I mean, if a name is speaking of character, it's nature, then what is his character? Moses asked to see the glory of God, and God says, okay, I'll show you my name. Interesting. I want to see your glory. He says, how about my name? 
Verse 18, Exodus 33:18, and he said, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. We move down into chapter 34, verse six, and the fulfillment of this request happens. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, and here he is, merciful, long-suffering, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Wow. And by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And that's speaking of when there is unrepentant sin from one generation to another generation, okay? So part of that character would be he does not overlook sin, but he is merciful and he is gracious. And so this is our God. I want, now think about this. If this is his name, and Moses said, I want to see your glory, he says, you'll see my glory, and his glory passed by him, and what did he see? He saw the glory of God, and it communicated mercy, and grace, and patience, or long-suffering. Remember, remember we're going through Hebrews? Does anybody remember what the Hebrew word meant for, or literally was for long-suffering? Anybody? Long of nose. That changed your life right there, didn't it? Your God is long of nose, long suffering. The idea is that they had this, we use the idiom, man, that person has a short fuse. So you want somebody to have a long fuse so they don't blow up and get angry and get mad. When God says, I have a long nose, the idea is that, that it would take a long time for that to burn. And the idea is when the, when the nose is burned up, you're gonna endure wrath. He says, I've got a long nose. I'm long-suffering. As we worship the Lord this morning, did any of these characteristics and nature of the Lord touch you in worship? Were you touched by the Lord being merciful or gracious in any of the songs as we were singing, or maybe your morning devotions, your long, his long-suffering, that he's abounding in goodness and truth, that he forgives were any of your hearts just kind of lit up a little bit as we, we sang? And it's like, man, God, you are so good. You are so gracious. You're so patient. You are, you're so forgiving. That is an encounter. That is a pass by with the glory of God, which is to say his name passed by you. Hallowed be your name. What is his name? Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. That, therefore, should govern how we pray. Do you, do you see that? If, if I'm supposed to hallow his name and I can ask anything of the Father in the name of Jesus, then these things should be in keeping with my prayer requests. And so we see this. If we were to only listen to your prayer requests, and from your prayer requests or the lack of request to determine what the character and nature or the name of God is, what would it be like? Would it be, well, this person never asks anything from God because anytime they begin to think about it, they say, oh, God wouldn't want to do that. Oh, he could do that, but he wouldn't do that for me. God wouldn't want to do that. Then we begin to think that God is one that doesn't want to answer prayer. But is that accurate? Or maybe it would be, that we pray to God as if he is a tight-fisted miser who has 
all kinds of resources, but he's reluctant to give anything. And so when you come, it kind of comes out. And you're, you know, your, your prayer is like this deep negotiation with somebody that doesn't want to give up their resources, but you're begging for it. Like, oh, so that's what our God is like. He, he has a lot of stuff, but he doesn't want to give it to anybody. Or would your prayer reveal God to be somebody who is a, a benefactor, but they must be convinced. So it's not that they're tight-fisted. They're a benefactor, and they must be convinced of the worthiness of the person asking and the cause for which the resources will go to. And so again, maybe our silence. Oh, I need, oh, I can't pray. I've had a terrible week. I have not, I've, I've had a, man, bad attitude week all along. I can't pray and ask the Lord for these things. I've, I've, I've got problems. There's no way he's gonna receive me to uh, himself. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to really kind of just get my devotions back in order. I need to start serving. I need to tithe. That's I need to write a check to the, to the church and I need to tithe. And then once I do that, then I'm gonna ask him on the basis of how good I've been. Lord, I prayed. I don't know if you saw the check I gave to you, Lord, but I did write you a check. I wrote a check to you. So um, I just would like to now speak to you about some things that I have need of. So you're trying to prove that you're worthy of the thing you're about to ask, or maybe you're trying to convince him of the cause. So Lord, what I need is, I need some money to get a car, but Lord, it's not just a car for me, it's a kingdom car. It's gonna be a car that is used to help get people to church. I don't know if you know this, but attendance is way down in America at church, Lord. And I would love to bring people to church, but my car is such a beater car, it would not represent you well for me to pick up people in a car like this. So Lord, if you will give me the money to get that car, it is yours. Anytime you want me to go pick somebody up or run an errand, Lord, I will do that for you. Really, Lord, you're the one that needs this car. <laughs> and, that, and we pray like that. But is that who God is? Do I have to convince him that I'm worthy? Do I have to convince him that his kingdom should be helped out? No. Who is the Lord? Romans 8.32 he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also, read the last line, freely give us, how many things? All things. Is that who your God is in your prayer? Believing that he's, I mean, he gave his son. If he gave you the son, why is he gonna get tight-fisted now? He gave his only begotten son to die for you. And now we're worried if he's gonna help us out with this need or that thing in our life or this kingdom pursuit. Of course he's gonna do it. Everything has been freely given to us. And so we can come and pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You can ask the Lord, for those things that are consistent with his nature and his character, and you can expect that every one of those things are gonna be answered. And then he goes on in verse two, he talks about the kingdom focus there to have. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So it's not about, again, my self-indulgent prayer list, it is about asking the Lord for those things that he's wanting to, to get done. Lord, fill my heart with your heart. Give me your desires, Lord. 
Empty me of self-will and fill me with your Holy Spirit that as I pray, I can pray for those things that you're wanting to be accomplished. Lord, I want to see your kingdom come. You told me to seek ye first your kingdom. Well, Lord, it's your kingdom I seek first. When our prayers become more about getting the answer than it does about the kingdom of God, it's time to make a correction. And then he says that we can come making requests for those things that we have need of. Verse three, give us day by day our daily bread. How not, why not just give us bread? Lord, when things get tight and there's a famine, give us bread. When it gets really desperate, give us bread. Well, the, the, then as well, but the Lord wants us to have a what kind of dependence upon him? How often? Day by day. Maybe, and I'm not saying for sure, because I don't know your circumstances, but maybe that's why you're experiencing greater need in your life in whatever area of your life than you ever have before. Because maybe you just drifted out there a little bit too far in your own independence and you had it all worked out and the Lord's like, you know what? I want you to rest in me and trust in me day by day. It's not an evidence of God's unfaithfulness if you're having to do that. He's wanting you to lean even heavier upon him. And then he says, and forgive us our sins. I mean, this fits with the nature of the Lord. We can come and pray and ask to be forgiven. We need to be spiritually in a good place. Ask the Lord to forgive you. He won't forgive me of that. He's sick and tired of hearing me. No. He wants you to walk in holiness, agreed. But the Lord delights in showing mercy. And not only is he wanting us to forgive, but we also need to make certain that we're forgiving others. He says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. The idea is not that I earn forgiveness by forgiving others, but that as a forgiven man, it is manifested by the grace I show to others. Water always finds the lowest spot. Water goes for, I mean, if, you're, if it's a snow melt at the top of a mountain, it's going to find the lowest spot. You know, it always goes there. If you build your house too close to a river, it might find its way into your basement, right? It's going to find the lowest spot wherever it is possible. And that's like God's mercy is always looking for the lowest spot. And lo and behold, it found me and it found you. In a low spot, it came. But then it lifts us up. And that mercy needs to keep on flowing down to somebody that's indebted to you, that has wronged you. And it's got to flow. It's not that in showing mercy, you earn salvation. It's that it's evidence that the mercy has flowed into your life because now it's flowing out of your life. If there's no mercy coming out of your life, then it never, Jesus said, came into your life. This is the point. And then lastly, he says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Which is, this is something that, it's like, why did he add that? I mean, is he going to like lead us down like some tricky spiritual road and then he's going to seduce us to sin? Not at all. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. He himself does not actually, for emphasis, does not tempt anyone. That doesn't happen. So then what's being prayed? 
I think it's rather than some technical aspect of theology, I think we should read this as uh, the cry from a heart of a person who just wants to be holy. Oh, Lord, don't let me get entangled. Don't, don't leave me into temptation. Keep that stuff a million miles away from me. I think this captures the heart. Let me read to you this quote. The third petition is both a confession of weakness and a prayer for faithfulness. It relieves believers of the pretense of being religious superstars. I like that. Don't leave me into temptation. I know myself, Lord. I know what I'm capable of. Keep me far from that. They pray rather to be rescued from situations that apart from God's intervention on their behalf, they would be unable to withstand. In his prayer on the Mount of Olives, Jesus twice admonishes his disciples to pray that they will not enter into such situations. And of course, we know what they did. They went to sleep. And, and Jesus says, listen, Satan's trying to sift you like wheat. He's after you. Pray. So prayer is, is how we stand. Prayer is how we are, are able to find the spiritual backbone to stand up in the face of temptation because prayer is worship. Prayer is talking to my Father. Prayer is connecting with heaven. And when I do that, I will receive the spiritual strength. We can have all kinds of steps and programs and all kinds of things you have to do to drive sin out of your life, but this is what the Bible says. Pray that you don't enter into temptation. And I probably, you guys could relate, prayer is one of the easiest things to feel guilty about in our walks with God. I don't pray enough. We probably don't. I don't. But it's not, and I think this is a lifelong pursuit. We're, we can always pray more. And we will be developed into people, men and women of prayer as we go. But we should be praying. We should be moving forward. So I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel like, oh, I don't pray enough. I might as well give up. No, don't give up. Press on. How far have you come? Go a little further. It's like, I don't know. I may only pray, I may only pray 15 minutes a week. All right, we'll start praying 20. Praise the Lord for 15 and make it 20. And starting engaging in, in corporate prayer and calling upon the name of the Lord. He is our Father. Something that you want, a, you want a, a prayer from me? I'll give you a prayer. Begin by saying, My Father. You have access. And you have access to somebody who's in heaven. He has all the resources. But he's to be holy. He's to be recognized. Understand who you're praying to. Understand his name. And ask him for those things that you have need of. Your bread, for forgiveness. Be a person that's allowing mercy to flow into other people that are needing to get it right. And stand strong. You know, flee from evil. And this is the prayer of the Lord. This is how he says, this is how my people pray. This is how Team Jesus prays, is like this. It's not that we read it and memorize it, although there's certainly nothing wrong with that. As long as it doesn't become a vain repetition, allowing it to touch ours. So this week, we're going to pray through the Lord's Prayer, and I hope you'll come and you will join us. Let's go to the Lord now. Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us how to pray. Thank you that you said, pray, my Father which art in heaven. The access that we have, Lord, is so amazing, and we are grateful for it. We ask, Lord Jesus, that we would be praying people, we'd be praying families, that we'd be 
a praying church. We don't want to just dabble in prayer, Lord. We want prayer to be the the recurring discipline activity of our life. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. And that when we pray, you're not tight-fisted. You're not some ogre in heaven that doesn't want to be disturbed. Lord, you are our Father who's already given us all things. And so we gladly come before you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.